0: you get a feel for that stuff to where you walk through the door and you know that you're going to find something or you walk through the door and you know that, oh, this is a waste of time. Cause this, the, you know, certain places just draw certain people to them, certain clientele to them. And you know, that's like, Oh man, there's something here. And I love that.
1: Welcome to the Juxtapose Journeys podcast. I am your host, Eric Spitz, and in this episode I talk with Colt Slee. Colt runs an antique paper ephemera shop on Etsy called Oddly Ends. The space is stocked with everything from old maps, prints of animals, wildlife, the human body, the cosmos, and any other miscellaneous subject with an aesthetic all its own. Our conversations range from his overall experience running an Etsy shop, along with some of his favorite finds over the years, either for the shop or his own personal collection. Believe me when I say he stumbles upon some interesting items in all of his thrifting. I like to have the interviews be as casual and natural as possible, and feel more like conversations. Because of that, the language and subject matter can get a little loose and explicit at times, so listener discretion is advised. Especially if you tend to get squeamish in regards to the medical field, which is one of our segues in this conversation. With that in mind, just sit back, relax, and get ready for Colt Slee's journey with Oddly Ends. Welcome to the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast. So happy to have you on.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, of course. All right. So you run an Etsy shop called Oddly Ends, which sells vintage paper ephemera as summarized on your Facebook page. So first of all, can you describe what ephemera is to anyone who may not be familiar with the term?
0: <clears throat> well, uh, ephemera is any sort of like paper, uh, say a postcard, a letter, um, stamps, anything that is kind of its main purpose is to be disposable, uh, have a short lifespan, kind of crumpled up and thrown away sort of thing. Um, that includes books and things like that. It's just anything that doesn't really have like a permanent, uh, permanent, you know, state of being, I guess. So, but, but paper, all, all paper products. Yeah, nice.
1: And that's kind of what I've been gathering from um, looking at YouTube videos and doing Google searches on it and stuff. And um, as embarrassing as it, as it is, I, I had to like Google even how to pronounce it properly and everything too. So I was like, well, that's the first step. Cause I keep wanting to call it something completely different than, than what it is or say it in a completely different way. So <laughs> I even had to look that up. So, uh,
0: yeah, it, it, depends. it depends. Like, uh, I've, um, I try to explain it as ephemera because When you tell somebody that you cut up old books, they're like, why would you want to do that? (laughs) So, um, so it's, it sounds a lot better when you're saying ephemera because you're, um, it's like you're celebrating the fact that it's like, you know, something that may be very, very old, but it just happens that it's still survived, which is something that's, you know, the opposite of what ephemera has been uh, used for, I guess.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um yeah, and like you said before, it's it, it was it, there are things that were kind of temporary or meant to be temporary, but you're kind of giving an extended life to almost. And um and I've noticed there are a lot of different kind of styles with it and everything too, like this uh YouTube video I looked up by this uh person named Skylar Hand. She was, you know, she was, like, tearing out pages and um, just kind of layering everything and doing everything in a nice, cohesive pattern to put together. It looked like for journaling and just kind of a um, using it for that. But from what I'm gathering from the stuff you do, uh, you mainly keep a lot of those intact, correct? Like, a, it's just, like, taking out a page and then matting it or something like that?
0: Well, um a lot of a lot of people have since a lot of people have a lot of different uses for it um i kind of consider myself a source for them um it'll be like uh i mean <clears throat> on most of my stuff that i that i collect and find um i mean it can be a use anywhere from uh full you know a map in a frame on the wall to a map you know, a hodgepodge to a, a scrapbook page with pictures on it, you know, it, it really the, the use for those are, um, you know, there's multiple uses with mixed media artwork, I've seen things like that being used for. Um, I guess what I just consider myself is like, yeah, a source of that kind of stuff. So um, if you're looking for something to fill a scrapbook with and personalize pages, something like that, you're looking for an old hundred-year-old dinosaur picture to put behind something or on the wall, why not? You know, <clears throat> that's that's what I'm looking for.
1: No, that makes sense. So, So you're mainly the source for those types of people to do their kind of... Artwork and everything with if they're if they're into ephemera and just using some of this stuff as um, I guess pieces for their own ty- uh, you know uses and or just to hang on the wall as you just said.
0: Yeah, I I mean for me I prefer hanging on the wall. Uh, just um, I mean because that's what I do. I don't do a lot of mixed media art or anything, but um, I guess my my passion is just finding the stuff um kind of having an eye for it and i do have i do have uh i use the term print slightly because they're not a reprint they're not reproductions they're what is pulled out of a book um i may have multiple copies of that book but i don't have reproductions of them so the the layman's term of a print would be what is taken out of a book and that print i might uh you know throw in a map just because not everyone has an eye for it you can't show somebody a page of you know um <clears throat> you know you can't show somebody a constellation of orion in this really nice 80 year old paper that you found out of a reference book somewhere and just share with them, like all the different things that they can do with it. They might just see a page in a book, but as soon as you throw a mat on it, it's like, Oh my God, I want to hang that on my wall. So I kind of, you know, help with some of that stuff and, and, uh, enjoy that part. Cause there's times when you, you put something in a mat and you turn it just right. And it just pops and you're just like, damn it, I can't sell this one. I need to put it on my wall now.
1: (laughs) No, that, that, uh, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, man, yeah, I thought of so many different things, uh, while you were talking of just like so many different questions that I, that I had prepared, um, (laughs) figuring out which one to segue to next. But, um, I guess I'll,
0: it's all right. I'm hyped up on some Mountain Dew and I'm ready to go. (laughs)
1: Perfect. Perfect. (laughs)
0: Literally the first person I've ever talked to about this stuff. So it's really weird. I mean, outside of like a a vintage, like a show, like a uh, farmer's market kind of like, you know, summer outside show. And we used to have those things. Right. Um, When people come up and will talk to me, but... Other than that, I haven't talked about my process anyway. So.
1: No, and it's exciting <laughs> to hear about all this stuff. I mean, because we, we talk all the time, I mean, just personally, but it's, it's stuff, I mean, in particular, I've never really asked you about any of this stuff before. I just remember like, you know, in passing all the time, you say, oh, I got to work on shop stuff tonight and everything. And, and that's like the end of the conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It just goes to show that you don't care.
1: i'm sorry you're supposed
0: to you're supposed to ask the questions whether you care or not eric
1: (laughs) exactly oh you're seeing right through me (laughs) now oh man so uh, how do you find the items you have for your shop
0: i oh man how do you even i i mean back to okay bare bones uh finding the stuff it's spending hours and hours and hours in old used bookstores, um, preferably the ones that are completely out of order, has stacks of books on the floor, um, uh, uh, just absolute nonsense everywhere is where you find the best books. And just going through and kind of having an eye and looking at... Any old reference book that might have some keywords to it, you know, whether it's zoology or astronomy or anatomy or something like that, and looking for certain bindings where it's like, okay, there might be a book plate in there, and literally flipping through hundreds of books. And it might sound tedious, but I absolutely love doing it. And anywhere I go, Anywhere I go, it's, it's, uh, like cities that I have never been. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the first thing I do, I go there, I Google the antique stores, the thrift stores and the bookstores. And I hit every one of them that I can.
1: That's awesome. No, that's so cool. And it's, it's so funny. Cause, um. I mean, th- I've been getting more into thrifting uh, over the last few years, mainly, you know, for apparel and, and clothing and things like that. But uh, I I find such a thrill with it doing it in, in different states and when I'm traveling, as weird as that sounds. Like, I, I've probably picked up, like, my best clothes from, uh, from different Goodwills and everything right in the Washington and Oregon area when I visit my cousin, and that's, like, half my wardrobe now.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you start getting kind of a feel for what you can – I don't know. For me, I, I, this is how it works, if it works for you, but sometimes you get a feel for that stuff to where you walk through the door and you know that you're going to find something or you walk through the door and you know that, ah, uh, this is a waste of time. Cause this, the, you know, certain places just draw certain people to them, certain clientele to them. And you know, that's like, oh man, there's something here. And I love that, that, that's just great
1: (laughs) yeah definitely um no and I can identify with that too I definitely get better feels and in different places than others and um and get a sense for knowing exactly what I'm looking for and things like that and I know a lot of that just kind of comes with doing it more
0: often and and getting more experience with it Uh, I can't tell you how many bookstores I've walked into and you know if I'm looking for like a nice Daniel Steele book or something, they're gonna have all the copies. But, you know, if if I'm not looking for that, then I can, it's pretty obvious when I need to turn around and walk out the door, but. Right. Yeah, it's
1: like, all right, new bookshop. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Some of them are old books, some of them are used books, and some of them are old used books. Perfect. yeah, not all of them are winners.
1: <laughs> no, understandably so. Um, now, I saw that your Etsy shop, I mean, has everything from animal and wildlife prints to anatomy and the body and even some jewelry. Um, so how do you decide ultimately what to stock in there?
0: Um, <clears throat> I Actually, unfortunately, it goes more toward my personal taste, uh, which is pretty broad, but there's still a lot of uh a lot of stuff that I kind of look over because I'm not drawn to it um I'm I'm very attracted to old anatomy prints, astronomy, zoology, um botany and that takes up the majority of the shop just because that's what I get excited about when I open up a book and find something. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of old car books and those are great, you know, but I, I don't, I don't go and and hunt for them specifically. I'm sure a lot of people would like it. I, some, I just have, I have a lane and I normally stick to that lane. Um, but, uh, And old religious, uh, religious, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's more to it than just those four or five areas, but there's definitely stuff I just don't even pay attention to.
1: No, that's, that's totally understandable though. And, and I mean, digging through your shop it, uh, I definitely get that vibe too, that it's, it's stuff that's very near and dear to you and just something that you genuinely just have a big interest in, which, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, translates well to the the shop and everything too. I mean, you know, to sell things you're just like passionate about or just unique finds that you have uh, that you just really think are, are cool and just want to share with other people. Um, actually, one of my questions I was going to ask too, uh, do you ever find it hard to distinguish what you want for your own personal collection and what you're okay with selling?
0: Absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> I would say, I mean i i consider all of it my personal collection just because i have about one percent of it online um the rest is in my own stacks of books that looks like a very unorganized bookshop in my house uh i mean ranging from books that i need to process and and cut up and you know figure out what i'm going to do with two books like i mean i just got one today that it's like damn i've never seen a copy of this i can't i gotta keep it i can't I, i can't break it up because uh it's just too good it's just incredible um so i do have i mean i have a lot of stuff on my wall i have a lot of stuff that's someday I might have a place for it. And then I have a lot of stuff that's just like, no, no one else can have that. I'm going to keep that one.
1: No, totally understandable. Um, have you ever had an item to where you just kind of regretted selling it?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I, outside of just, or outside of the ephemera, um, I mean, I deal a lot with antique stuff, uh, just weird shit in general, kind of oddities and bones and, you know, old, very questionable religious literature and stuff. I don't know, just lots of weird stuff. And uh, that said, I had the menu from arby's in the 90s <laughs> all right like i'm talking like the the wood hexagon that had each sandwich in it where it just is like a big like a like a two by two hexagon wood frame with a picture of a beef and cheddar in it do you remember this? Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't, but this sounds amazing. Okay. So, when you, when you in the 90s, you walk into to Arby's, and it, really their menu was just these big framed pictures of sandwiches, and I had like a complete set of those that I found, I don't know, in some barn somewhere, I don't remember even where I got it, but... I had all of them. And the problem was, where the hell do you put them? (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, I definitely moved a few times and had them on walls. Uh, They're just, I mean, they're a great talking point. And, And I swear, if you saw one, you would remember it somehow. But I had all the sandwiches. And it got to the point where I really got sick of moving them around. I went to a market. You know, I had a table at a market. Um, I priced them to sell, and of course, they sold uh, to some college kid that doesn't even was not even going to appreciate it. You know, oh, yeah. Um, I mean, he might appreciate it, but he's not really going to appreciate it. You know. No, I, I get what you mean. Back when those, back when it was five for five, Eric,
1: <laughs> it used to be five for five. I re- okay. I remember those days.
0: So I would say, I mean, it was, I regretted selling those, but, um, I don't know where the hell I'd put them. So why not? Someone else. I'm sure they're out there somewhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, that I love that story though. Um, I, I feel like I can kind of envision these these pictures that you're talking about. I just imagine someone going into an Arby's and it's like a almost like a lobby, like an art gallery type thing. He's like, oh, "I'll have one of those."
0: They're <laughs> just pointing at the pictures. <laughs> it yeah, it was just a picture with a sandwich and like this nice font under it that just said <laughs> beef and cheddar, and then there was one that had like the double beef. And then one that, you know, I mean, I don't know however many sandwiches they had back then, but, um, but yeah, the main ones were all in these frames that were, that was just great. Oh, that, that sounds amazing. That's, that's definitely
1: a really cool find. Um, I guess I want to back up and, and, uh, ask what, so what ultimately led you down the path of running a, a vintage paper ephemera shop and, and starting an Etsy page in the first place?
0: i got into etsy when kind of in its infancy like 12 or 13 years ago 12 years ago maybe i started with just maps there was a there was a market for collectible maps and atlases whether that be used for um like jewelry pendants, kind of like cutting out cities on maps, you know, for jewelry pendants and stuff like that. Uh, again, back then it was still like, you know, whatever you're using it for, um, I was just kind of, uh, more interested in finding them and supplying them sort of thing. But, um, and, and a lot of scrapbooking and scrapbooking and, and kind of like customizing pages and stuff like that was really big. So, um, any of the like the the you know bigger the better as far as maps go but like no, you know nothing with with creases no no like fold up maps stuff like that like actually big alices and uh i was i don't know i, I was selling those things as just kind of like uh you can use it for jewelry i was like these like little pieces of the maps and stuff and then it was like i mean i don't really care what they use it for but these are really cool and yeah, I just started with maps and like full page maps and just kind of grew from there. I think went to astronomy after that cuz who doesn't like a sweet constellation on the wall?
1: So true. No, that's that's so awesome though. Um and I'm sure this is a really broad question, but uh can you describe the process a little bit of how you get an item ready for sale in your shop like from, you know, used bookstore to to the person's hands from Etsy?
0: Yeah, um, well, I have a, uh, kind of like a light rig picture space where I can kind of form uh, like a, uh, take pictures of the, of the product. Um, I prefer kind of like, uh, I prefer kind of setting a scene with the picture, whether, um. I mean, you know, someone can cut it out of a book and scan it into the computer and get all the detail and then, you know, throw it up online. Um, I actually, I prefer taking a picture of the page with some sort of interesting detail in the picture as well. Um, but it's, so I have that on the ready at all times and, um, you know, whether I'm buying a book at a bookstore or find something online, which obviously in this day and age, typically I'm buying stuff online more often than anything. But um, I get the book, I kind of get an overall feel of what's usable, what I think is interesting. I mean, there's lots of pages that I don't find interesting or just don't pop out at me as useful in some way but I take the majority of those I cut them out of the book and and like I said just kind of decide which uh which avenue is going to be best is this just going to be a straight page am I going to try to map this or create some sort of scene or story with it um but yeah take it out take a picture Edit the picture for way too long, <laughs> put it online, and and let it sit. See see how you know what kind of traffic it gets or what people think about it. Yeah, perfect. Um, beyond that, I mean, it's just roll it up and send it. To yeah, you <laughs> know,
1: just... <laughs> yeah that, exactly. That I mean, yeah, that definitely would be where the most time consuming is. Is I guess getting it polished off and prepared and marketing it and and trying to get people to bite on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there's definitely ones that I, you know, will find out that, Oh wow. You know, this went really quick. And, um, and I do buy and especially obviously way easier online, old bookstores uh, I'll back up a little bit too, like going to the old bookstores and finding stuff. That is how I can randomly find new books. I, you know, I, I, cause I go there without any intention of knowing what I'm looking for and, can find a book that you've never heard of um i have a very long list of books that i've bought multiple copies of because i you know they're i they're popular um at least like you know they have really good book plates in them um can use them for you know selling as a page or matting them and and so on and so forth but uh but yeah, we're, regardless where they come from, they're all processed the same.
1: Nice. And that, uh, what you were talking about earlier briefly, kind of segues perfectly into uh, another question I had prepared. So this one's kind of a tool two-parter, but uh, what's been the most difficult product for you to sell and what's kind of an item that seems to sell out faster than others in general?
0: Difficult to sell, just just something that's, that just sits there and and doesn't get much traffic. I, I was really surprised. I had um, there's a there's a picture. There's a, there's a page that I had of a fetus that had and this isn't like a real fetus. I mean, it's a it's a, you know, a lithograph. So I mean, it's an it's an old illustration hand-colored and whatnot.
1: In short, a lithograph is a handmade original copy where the image of the content is placed on a plate which is then covered in ink and used for printing. This process can be used to print on paper, cardboard,
0: and other various materials. But, and I, it, that matters because of the detail I'm going to get into. Um, the, the fetus is like, you know, has its back towards you. Um, it is, it, the it's cut down its spine with its back filleted open <laughs> um, <laughs> showing the inner workings of the spine in its like, you know, initial growth stages and things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I mean, it's fantastic. And I bought several of this book just because of this, because I loved it. I would hang all of them on the wall because I'm that <laughs> guy. Right. Um, But I couldn't tell you how many shows I took that to you know, displayed in a nice mat and very excited to sell it to the first person who came and nobody won. <laughs> <Man>, and yeah. <clears throat> and I think it's just a little uncomfortable, but that's, I mean, I've had people buy really weird shit and say, Oh, this will look great in my bathroom. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know why, but, well, I mean, I, I mean, I do know why, because I have a lot of like, um I, don't know, I mean the anatomy, anatomy books you know they have pictures of of all the genitalia you would ever need <laughs> um and a lot of people like to put those in bathrooms so i can I can understand that um but uh but yeah that baby it it took forever to to get any hits on that um that that being said there's a really great pic- picture of a Brachiosaurus in water up to its neck, but it's like kind of a cross section of the lake it's standing in, so you can see it like standing on the bottom of the lake with its head up above the water.
1: For those unfamiliar, a Brachiosaurus is a genus of sauropod dinosaurs that lived in North America during the late Jurassic period, around 154 million years ago. It has a length of 23 meters and a height of 12 meters which roughly equates to the length of two large school buses on the height of a four-story building. According to a 2014 study in the Journal of the PLOS Biology, it's believed that a Brachiosaurus may have weighed about 62 tons. At the time of its discovery in 1903, it was declared the largest dinosaur ever, but other sauropods are now believed to have been bigger and heavier.
0: It's fantastic, That's- and I sell it every time I can get my hands on one of the books.
1: That's so cool. I, I, I do feel like there's a really big, uh, market for just, um, not even necessarily like cryptids, but just like, you know, ancient creatures and things like that. You know, some of those prehistoric, I guess, uh, animals and species and things like that. But, um, no, I'm confident you can uh, find the right person to, to take your fetus pictures and just be like, "Oh, this would look great in my nursery."
0: You know, <laughs> I'll I'll send you a link to it. Just make me an offer. You know, that's all I'm asking. Perfect.
1: <laughs> but no, that's no, that's awesome though. Um, and then speaking of those different uh, trade shows and everything too, I, obviously the world's in a much different place right now with the. World of COVID, but uh, how have I guess you been adapting to the changing of times right now?
0: Well, it was, I mean, at the beginning, it was horrifying because I've done a few markets. I, I'm mostly online based and just in the last few years started doing markets. Um, it, I've gotten really, really good feedback. And of course, just working online. I mean, you other than reviews on your items, you don't get to like talk face to face with people. And I found out that wow, people really like this stuff and I really like hearing that people like this stuff. So I started doing it more and more. And funny enough, 2020 was going to be the year where I expanded from 3 shows a year to about 12. Wow, that's a big jump. <laughs> it, right. And, you know, I I have the material for it. Whether I have the time to prepare the material for it was going to be another hurdle, but, I mean, I was, I was YOLO, I guess. <laughs> um, but, uh, unfortunately, that did not happen. So all of those contracts for the, for the markets that were supposed to be in 2020 that, you know, whatever uh, is still operating and can move to 2021 um, whenever in 2021 it's possible,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, we'll slowly get back on that train again. Um, but, uh, but there's been a lot of support for small businesses online this year. And I mean, the shop has done very well uh, with everyone just ordering for online and uh which is good because it's you know the little guy that needs the support and it's better than being irresponsible and going out and shopping for stuff you don't need when you can just sit in your underwear and shop for stuff you don't need (laughs) so true and uh so so yeah it's been a really good year um it's been a good it's been a good year to kind of see where I should go from here. And, uh, and hopefully even better when we can actually get out and have a crowd of 500 people walking around a market. Cause I love going to those and I love doing those. Yeah, definitely. And I look forward to doing them again.
1: Um, do you have a favorite event that you've done or one that you'd really love to be a part of someday?
0: Definitely. Have to throw all of my support at the vintage in the zoo, um, farmer's market in Kalamazoo. Um, less of, I mean, it's a farmer's market pavilion, but it's a vintage, uh, vintage clothing, vintage furniture, vintage anything and everything, um, market that a very lovely couple puts on, um, throughout the summer. And now kind of in the winter with pop-up shops inside uh, down in Kalamazoo. So that's definitely my favorite because that's the first one I did. And I've been attending that every year. And, you know, I've grown with them as I see, you know, the crowds get bigger and bigger and they schedule more and more markets. And it's a really great team and uh, a great crowd that keeps coming back to that but uh there's a i mean beyond that there all of the ones that were supposed to happen in 2020 were going to be my favorites because i was going to attend all of them (laughs) um but yeah i mean there's there's people all over the place that that put on really good shows in ann arbor and grand rapids and to detroit to lansing i mean everywhere around here
1: Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I saw you were originally supposed to be at a festival of oddities, which I imagine ended up getting canceled or postponed.
0: I I think it, it may have happened. I unfortunately, I mean, not unfortunately, I, I chose not to go, as you can imagine.
1: According to the Festival of Oddities website, a socially distanced version of the festival was held in 2020 and supported local artists and small businesses and had a safe and successful turnout. The 2021 festival will be held in accordance with any and all state guidelines issued to combat the pandemic when it happens on September 4th.
0: But I am, you know, all in for for the next one. So hoping that we can get those going.
1: Yeah, definitely. Now, do you mainly just go to events, um, I guess in the pre-COVID dates and everything, obviously, but uh, do you stick to events uh, primarily in Michigan or do you do any out-of-state events?
0: I haven't person I haven't uh been a vendor at any out of state events. I've gone to some, um but uh uh there's a there's an oddities it's the name escapes my mind right now. But there's an oddities uh market that has grown really quickly or, or like oddities flea market that's grown um national you know i don't know 20 20 different uh events probably across the nation um i think it's just the oddities flea market uh or no no that's new york i, I don't know it's an oddities show sorry <laughs> <laughs> i'm cheating and i am on my computer right now and it is just because they Deserve to be named, right? For sure, it's the Oddities and Curiosities Expo. Um, 2019 was the first time that it came to Detroit, and uh, as much as I wanted to be a vendor, I went to experience it first, hoping that 2020 I would be a vendor, and then obviously this happened. So um, that one, I've gone to multiple uh, events. Um, Tri-state area and and uh, there's a good crowd for New York as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, out of curiosity, how much time would you say you spend on average per week uh, doing shop-related things?
0: I watch a lot of movies, and I spend about that much time in the shop, and that's pretty much. I mean, playing with my son, watching movies, and doing shop stuff (laughs) that's about that's about my time i have to work 40 hours in there somewhere so i should probably say i work (laughs) even though i do shop stuff during work sometimes but that's only sometimes (laughs) right (laughs) no i'd be
1: totally understandable and those things get definitely hard to quantify and stuff too because um like you know, I, I, I've i been blogging more consistently and stuff during the, the pandemic and everything and focusing more on that and, um, you know, publishing weekly articles and things. But actually sitting down and writing, it's like, well, you know, I probably spend a few hours, you know, doing that. But then it's just like, well, how much time do I spend, you know, watching these different movies to prepare for my thing or reading these different books or articles preparing for it? And it's like, well... When you think about it, all those technical things adding together, it's <laughs> probably really hard to put a number on it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a much better answer than mine. And feel free to cut out any part of my answer. <laughs> I will stick with yours um, <laughs> because <laughs> I mean I totally agree. I'm, <clears throat> I mean, even while I'm watching a movie, I'm most likely, you know, scouring eBay for, you know, because I found a book and I need to find a book where some idiot actually took a picture of one of the pages in the book, you know, it's (laughs) like, come on, give me, this is an astronomy book and he didn't take any pictures of the astronomy. (laughs) And so I'm trying to find someone else who might've had that book. And I I do, there's a lot of research, obviously trying to find um, new material or, uh, or trying to hunt down, you know, a book that I might have been trying to find for a while. But, um, beyond that, it's very easily for, very easy for me to spend a Saturday taking pictures, editing pictures, and then those edited pictures stay on my phone for about two months. And then I finally decide to put them online.
1: (laughs) So it's a lot of time. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely identify with all of that too. And, uh, Yeah, uh, what you were just talking about got me thinking as well, um, because, yeah, obviously there's a lot of research that goes into a lot of these items and uh, oddities that you find. So does it kind of start where you're kind of drawn to a specific field in general, but then if you come across something that you maybe not as familiar with, or you think is a little bit more rare. Is that what prompts you to do more research into, Oh, this might actually be like a good find or something like that, or something that, you know, I could, I could, that is a little bit more rare.
0: Yeah. I don't know what makes me, um, I think it's, I get distracted from stuff really easily. So I might find myself down a path. I didn't initially, uh, intend. I definitely have specific things that I like to look for. I'm really into any sort of, uh, vintage like dentistry, um, dental molds, um, veneers. I'm not so, I don't know. I mean, I'm all for like the real teeth, but something about just like the veneers and the the medical supplies and like the the instruments and stuff like that i get drawn toward that um but that might i mean i might start there and then randomly i end up looking at like holy water bottles <laughs> for some reason which i'm also very interested in and collect um but uh i know that uh, doesn't really answer your first question, but um, it's I just get just dis- I just get distracted and I'm like, oh yeah, this is cool too. Um, I guess that's my that's my best answer.
1: <laughs> no, and I I completely identify with that too. Um, so I can be the same way. I'll just get down some weird rabbit holes I never even expected, and then start to get interested and sidetracked with those different things, and then um. But it works out well for just a, for an Etsy shop where you're just kind of selling unique oddity type things that you don't really see every day. And um it's it's so funny you mentioned uh, dental equipment and stuff too because I I randomly have this um <laughs> like uh like mold up uh up sitting right by my desk and everything where I work every day because I got fitted for a bite splint because I, I grind my nice. teeth at night and everything. And um so mm-hmm. I got fitted for one of those and I had to have one of those dental molds done. And I randomly still have this dental mold and it's just sitting right by my desk and I don't know what to do with it, but I don't really want to get rid of it. I was like, Oh, it's kind of cool though. And then I just, I just kind, of, kind of keep it there. And I, I guess that's how these hobbies start, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, um, so is it like a, like a white plaster mold? That's what, yeah, it's like, like a, um, bottom.
1: yeah, it's, it's got like a, it's like a white pinkish hue type thing, but it's an actual like, Casting mold and stuff too, and um, yeah, it's it's. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, a representation cool. of my teeth. If <laughs> anyone out there's interested in that, yeah. <laughs> the specific impression I'm referring to is called an alginate impression. Alginate is a powder material composed of sodium alginate, calcium sulfate, trisodium phosphate, along with other various components. And when mixed with water, it creates a smooth gel-like consistency that sits firmly enough to mold. Dental professionals use this hypoallergenic material to take accurate teeth impressions for various oral devices and treatments, and in this case, a bite splint. Uh,
0: it, it's funny because I've been, um, I've, I've done markets before. Where I, I have a lot of those, and I have, I'll have them out on the table, and and if you know, even if no one's interested in it, they will normally share a story about it, and yeah, the amount of people that come up and look at them for a minute and kind of like, look, and like, you know what? I have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I have some, I'm one of those somewhere. Um, I, I unfortunately do not, but, uh, I mean, uh, not of my own, but I have a lot of other people. <laughs> nah, that's kind of weird, but, um, I don't know why, like, it always interests me. Um, anytime I see one of those, I always think about, uh, the movie Red Dragon. Okay. Um the Hannibal Lecter uh you know Thomas Harris Thomas Harris book I think. Um the uh it was a Ray Fines I think plays the Red Dragon character. If you haven't seen it check it out, but he has a very specific uh set of teeth and he likes to bite his victims and so they had a mold of his teeth. I was like oh my god, that's like the holy grail. I would love that.
1: <laughs> oh no, definitely. And it, it's it's so funny you mention that and stuff too because I, I'm definitely starting to recognize that just kind of all of your interests intertwine with one another and they're all interconnected. Because I know you're a big movie person, and you're big on these oddities and antiquing, collecting, and um, and they all just kind of mesh and intertwine with each other and kind of influence and, and get you down different pathways just based on. Random interactions and things you have, so I find that really interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm super weird, and I love horror movies, <laughs> so I got a lot of weird shit. And and I'm I'm a new subscriber to Shutter, which it took way too long. Wow, but yeah. um, it's the best.
1: I know. I'm surprised you're just getting on Shutter. I've I've even had that for, well, I mean, not terribly long. Oh. It's not like oh, I've I've had it for years or anything. But um, I, th- I don't know. I think I got it right before kind of spooky season was fully underway. I was just like, you know what? I need to, I just need to get Shutter because there's a lot of good things on there.
0: Yeah, well, there, I remember, I mean, years ago or I don't know, however long they've been around, but...
1: After doing some digging, it looks like Shudder was first launched in 2015 by AMC Networks. I feel like I got
0: a, a free subscription at some point and, you know, they were just, it was too young. It was, there There wasn't enough, um, you know, there you can only do so much with like C level camp horror and I, I couldn't do it but um very uh um good surprise to see that oh my gosh, these they have amazing stuff on here.
1: Oh so. yeah. Um I'm remembering it now. I actually started my free trial with shutter um when they were um had that exclu- exclusive streaming of host on there. And then I was, I heard good things about it and stuff and I wanted to check it out. And then I just kept my subscription after that, which it's always how they rope you. But I mean, <laughs> it, it worked out well. Cause I still, I still use it quite a bit. I think I, um, Oh, I watched that. Um, oh, the, the, I believe the color out of Space is was on there or something. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's
0: still on my list. I haven't watched it yet.
1: <laughs> it's so <laughs> visually satisfying i think that's the main yeah, thing i mean it's, it's like right here the the color palette's great and and just like the it, it has those elements of like body horror on it and I, I feel like you're there are certain scenes that just i know you're gonna absolutely love
0: <laughs> yeah i'm excited to watch it it's, it's still i i just need to be in the Nicolas cage mood and i just it just seems like sometimes i just i just can't um but scrolling through there before, um, I mean, just impressed that they have, you know, Halloween and Texas Chainsaw and all this kind of stuff. But then also, like, Daniel Isn't Real is on there. Yeah. And uh, one of my other favorites, Lovely Molly, um, which is very, very highly underrated. Um, stuff like that is like, OK, yeah, I need to support this and I need to stay because I'm going to watch this about six times.
1: Oh, for sure. I know it's uh man. Yeah. I really just want to go through and dig through some of their selections. I could, I could talk all day about this kind of stuff,
0: <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely like uh parallels and stuff. I mean, I've, I mean, I'm sitting here in my office right now and you know, I beyond just the, just the prints <clears throat> I've been trying to, expand a little bit and and actually throwing around the idea of creating my own just website in general and, and still operating it uh, through Etsy, but then also, you know, just something a little bit more substantial as far as a brand, I guess, goes. Um, and I have uh, so many books that, you know, I'm, I want to start, uh, going through just, just selling on their own. I mean, I'm, I have, let me see. What is this one right here? Uh, book from 1910. Um, it's, uh, the pleasures of the torture chamber. Would you be interested? There's, it doesn't look very pleasurable based on the pictures that are in the book, <laughs> um, but I haven't read it yet. They're, they might, they might have good things to say. Nice.
1: No, that's that's super cool. Um, yeah, and I know you mentioned a, a website and everything too. So, um, is that kind of the next step or the next thing you have in the works for um, for your brand overall? Do you ever envision
0: having an actual physical brick and mortar store or anything like that? I would, I mean, this seems like it's been years where I've thought like how great, like a brick and mortar oddity shop would be. And there's a lot, there's been a lot that have popped up between then and now to where, um, I think that's its own lane. And I think that my lane is more of an online thing. Um, but, I kind of like the idea of my brick and mortar can like tour in the summers in markets. You know, I mean, I'm, I love doing markets and uh, vintage shows and stuff like that. And, you know, if there's a a physical location kind of thing, that's the side of it, then I really like the communal aspect of a huge you know, vintage show, not only because I like to, you know, do the vendor side of things, but, um, I mean if there's one place that I would like to be walking around all day is a vintage show anyway. So.
1: Oh, definitely. That's, that's awesome. Um, do you have, I guess any advice for anyone who's looking
0: to start a Netsy shop? Um, well, it's a lot different than it used to be. Um, it's a lot. I mean, I can you know give you the whole. It's so commercialized now. <laughs> um, you know, you can you can have sweatshops making your leather wallets that you sell on Etsy, because you used to. You, everything had to be handmade, and they would shut you down if if it if there was any hint of sweatshoppery going on. <laughs> I don't really have any advice other than like it's cool to be original. I mean, there's, there's people that make some really cool, like reproductions of things. um, but there's like a, an originality that comes with like, Hey, this is, this is my design or my idea. And hopefully you can get some people looking at it kind of thing. I mean, you know, I I say that my design, my idea, and I'm selling old book plates. (laughs) Um, But, but you, I mean, there's, it requires a certain eye for it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff on there that I'm not the only one that sells pages out of old books. And um, I think there's just a consistency in like your curation that kind of like, you know, tells the customer who you are and there's like a consistency throughout the shop kind of thing I mean I could I could just grab random stuff and throw it all on there and say hey this shop is for everybody but I'm more interested in like this shop is for like this kind of person because I'm that kind of person and I would love shopping there so you know that's where I get my kind of like originality in my own little nook Um, and I like finding shops that are like that so yeah I would say just Concentrate on, like, what you think is cool and and build your brand around that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, it's so funny because what you were just touching on really reminded me of a, a podcast interview I was listening to with Tim Ferriss. And kind of he was, you know, had that same mentality with things of don't try to sell to everybody because when you do that, you're actually selling to nobody because you're just casting such a big net and... You know, it's, it's, it's trying to be almost like too accessible to too many people when you should really just be focusing on, okay, this is who I want to target and go after. Kind of like what you were talking about of finding, you know, your own voice and your own market to appreciate the things that you put on there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, in a physical space at a show or something, um, You know, I can try to do that more because obviously there's there's a lot of wider range of eyes on your stuff. And, you know, I might have a uh, picture of Satan from Dante's Inferno right next to a really nice bird picture. (laughs) And there might be there might be someone really interested in that bird but then seems kind of offended that I took the time to mat a picture of Satan. <laughs> I mean, you can't please everybody, but I think both of them are cool, and I would hang them up next to each other on my wall.
1: I feel like just the, the I guess, juxtaposition of them and the duality and the irony of it would just make it <laughs> perfect, too, to put side by side. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean,
1: why not? Really? <laughs> no, exactly. Um, and I, I feel like you may have touched on this earlier, but uh, do you have a a personal favorite find that you've had overall, whether it's in your Etsy shop or your own personal collection? I guess in addition to the Arby's pictures. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. Well, yeah. That 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 was the one that got away. <laughs>
1: that was the one that got um, away.
0: But uh. But no, I think um I really love um vintage psychology books and and literature like uh um one of my favorite things that i that I sporadically put on the the shop are um Rorschach plates like the the psychology tests of the you know, what do you see in this inkblot kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And I really love uh, Rorschach plates.
1: Interestingly enough, Rorschach inkblot tests are still used today, though there's some debate over how useful the results are. Many psychologists use Rorschach inkblots to gauge personality and measure emotional stability. They're often used as character evidence in civil court proceedings and parole hearings as a way of diagnosing mental illness in a clinical setting. The Rorschach inkblot test is second in popularity only to the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory among professionals in the field, according to the Society for Personality
0: Assessment. When I do have them available, I find that a lot of people really love them too. Um, But I have a... uh, I have a set of a kind of a competing psychologist who was trying to challenge, uh, Rorschach's notion of the, um, of the, you know, 10 plates is all you need to diagnose, uh, um, a patient. And, um, this, uh, this doctor by the name of, uh, Holtzman, created a 48 or 47 plate collection um of very very intricate ink blots and they're extremely hard to find and i'm i'm the proud owner i will say of two of those sets and uh i just i think they're amazing and the the problem being i could never break them up you know i mean
1: Wayne Holtzman developed a psychological test between 1958 and 1961 as an attempt to address some controversial issues surrounding the Rorschach inkblot test. When I googled these plates to try to find more information, the first listing was a link to Oddly End's page, ironically enough, outlining the extremely rare 1958 inkblot plate original board that's currently for sale in the shop.
0: And I mean, I don't sit here and diagnose people, but... I have enough books to do it. I think I, I have like all of the Rorschach books. <laughs> I would love <laughs> to do fortune telling, but actually tell you if you have schizophrenia or not. And uh, but I I think I'm mostly I'm drawn to those as like a a very uh, yeah a very good find
1: yeah i I remember you actually showing me some of those or talking about those and I do find them really interesting as well and uh and just the overall um i guess treatment of mental health uh over the years or, or you know from from those time periods is just so much different than today i mean like you were saying of having those ten different pictures being able to diagnose any sort of mental illness is just kind of <laughs> uh uh hard to i guess fathom in today's day and age of things and and just looking at any sort of documentary or thing that you can find on on a different um mental health facilities and things like that and just how just absolutely just ridiculous the living situations are and things like that or just oh or, or just or even if you just watch anything about like lobotomies it's just enough to just make your skin crawl <laughs>
0: Uh, well, speaking of, if you're interested in lobotomies, I do have some spikes. You actually have some of those spikes. Wow. If you, if, if you're interested. (laughs) Uh.
1: (laughs) To provide a little background, a lobotomy is a form of psychosurgery aimed to treat mental disorders that involves severing connections in the brain's prefrontal cortex. This complex and dangerous procedure used to be done with ice picks. And if you're looking for something to truly make your skin crawl... Check out the lore episode entitled Echoes on Amazon Prime Video to learn more about it. <laughs>
0: it. It's the stuff like that. I have I have a lot of things like that that I don't, um, you know, don't currently have available in my shop and stuff. But I feel like something like that would be more. It's kind of why I, why I want to start a, a website that actually will sell everything from book plates to books to just random Oddities and things like that that I've collected and curate kind of a collection like that because I, I feel like I just I'm trying to curate a, a specific look and a specific group of things on Etsy, but but I'm really interested in in uh, expanding even into jewelry. Like you mentioned earlier I do um, have select pieces of jewelry on on the website that. Uh, around the etsy page that's bones or shells and all, all sorts of just uh like porcupine quill earrings kind of thing like that i don't know just i dabble so
1: no yeah definitely i think that's really awesome um let's see is there any other uh tidbits or information you wanted to touch on that i may not have asked about I don't know. Just want to make sure I'm covering my bases Uh, here.
0: I'm around this. I'm around this stuff all day. So it doesn't seem weird to me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, totally understandable. Oh, so cool though. Okay. So, um, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you and, and look at your stuff, mainly just your Etsy page or your Facebook or.
0: Yeah. Um, I would say the, the oddly ends, um, etsy page uh oddly ends on instagram um i frequent that a lot more than the facebook page but any i mean i can i can do all of the things anything if you just google search oddly ends I mean, you'll find something
1: yeah for sure no it was uh pretty easy for me to stumble across and stuff too and it was yeah, really awesome to, to scroll through. Um, I was just doing my research, preparing all these questions over the last few days. And it's like, man, I, I really want to start an Etsy shop now because this is all so cool. Like I just kept scrolling through all the stuff there. And it's, you know, all stuff that just co- it, it cohesively all fits together, even though it may seem like just a bunch of I don't know, like it's, it's, it's all things that I feel like interrelate in their own different ways. Like it's they're they're all just very kind of had, have that charm and are aesthetically pleasing to like their own respective niche market.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's what I'm, it's what I'm hoping for. And it, uh, I rely on, I guess the, the one downside is, you know, hoping that people have the eye to know that you, you know, I mean I've gotten reviews. Oh, this is just a page out of a book. It's like, yeah, that's the damn point. Like <laughs> I don't understand I don't know what the problem is with that. <laughs> right. Um oh man, I got a one star review that yeah, it was what the hell did they say? I was like, This is a page out of a book. Oh, scam. Scam, that's what it was. <laughs> it was this is a page out of a book. Dot dot dot. Scam. <laughs> it's like oh my god.
1: Do you have to just uh, get your customer service voice going and and just be like, I'm sorry if there was a miscommunication, sir, but in the description and just like (laughs) go the the politely way of saying like, that's the point.
0: (laughs) Oh man. I mean, that, that guy deserved it. I got, I got real sarcastic with him. So... um... On an open review for sure anyone can read it <laughs> I happily just because it was great I mean i I told him I how much I appreciated that review oh that's great
1: <laughs> oh that's fantastic well awesome yeah I guess if uh you don't have anything else to add and everything it's it was great catching up and actually getting a better understanding of all this because like I said I mean I went from the other day not even sure if I was um, (laughs) pronouncing ephemera, right. To, to really digging in and kind of seeing what it was all about. And, and yeah, I kind of getting caught up in the energy of all of it too. And, and, uh, getting, getting an idea of, I guess, your, your passion and your kind of side hustle thing, uh, for myself and seeing how, how, um, special it really is and how cool and
0: fun it can be. Yeah. My main, I guess the main thing that I, uh, the main thing that I like to tell people is, I mean, especially for the people who, um, you know, come to me and say, Oh, it's, oh I can't imagine cutting up a book. Um, cause I mean, there's a very there's passionate, I, I have lots of passion for books. I would never want to ruin, um, books as an art form. And I know that they're slowly disappearing anyway. So, You know, why would you want to cut up a, a, you know, a reference book from the 1900s? You know, why not keep and try to uh, save it? Um, But the problem is it's hard to, it's hard to celebrate it when it's, you know, under a bunch of boxes in the corner of a moldy basement, or even sitting on a shelf closed. Um, you don't get a lot of conversation and a lot of enjoyment out of an old, out-of-date book that, you know, is going to have a lot of old, out-of-date information in it, but has some of the most gorgeous artwork that holds up hundred years later. I mean, why would you not want to? try to display that, you know, the best of its ability, and share it. I mean, you know, one book, I may have customers in four different countries that have, you know, parts of that book. And I think that's great. And that's, that's kind of what I fall back on when I see a book that's like, damn, I can't cut this thing up, but how else is anyone else going to enjoy it?
1: No, it's so true. And I, I like the way that you point that out. Um, it's almost like showing appreciation for these books and items and, you know, by doing these things and kind of giving them a second life and, you know, making them pop and putting them in a, in a manner that's presentable to a lot of people that make them look at it differently, you know, from a, new perspective and say, Oh, that actually looks really good when you frame it that way and, and put it on my wall. So it's like, even though it, you know, it, from the outside eye, it could maybe look like dismantling something or tearing pages out of books or something like that. But when you are able to do that in a way that gets others to appreciate it. And, it, and like you said, being shared around to people in different countries and things like that, I think that, you know, that, that definitely puts it in a different perspective and shows that you really, you know, Are appreciative of it and and want others to, to appreciate it too and and see that gorgeous artwork and everything and yeah there's there's definitely a very you know interesting charm and atmosphere that comes from those old medical textbooks and things like that of of all those information where obviously the information itself is has been updated but it's it's interesting to get a glimpse into those time periods
0: yeah I mean you're gonna walk right past uh you know a a reference encyclopedia from um i keep giving the example of 1910 but generically 1900s you know a reference book that's volume five you know d e through h a you know who gives a shit but the fact that you've unearthed up to 20 different uh you know amazing plates in there and and has something to start a conversation around you know it's really cool you know i mean a book of external diseases of the eye you're uh, you're gonna pass right by that right (laughs) but i guarantee you if you take one look at the picture i have up on my wall that i'm looking at right now you would have some questions about it. <laughs>
1: oh, definitely. Yeah. It's it, it, <laughs> <laughs> no, like I said, of just scrolling through your store and seeing some of the items that it made, it made me look at things in a different perspective too. Cause it's, it's not something I, I consciously think about, you know, consistently of, you know, 1950s medical textbooks or what have you. But, um, but you know, when you, when you see some of the pages, um, kind of embellished and everything in these different frames and it's just like man now that's it's i don't know it it just brings a whole different atmosphere to it and and yeah i mean you know it could be you know uh, someone's version of artwork or just their way of paying homage to it or you know something along those lines I, i guess at the bottom line just being appreciative of it
0: yeah absolutely that's what i try to do awesome so good
1: no, this is such a good conversation. I'm so excited to put this together and everything and um and yeah. Uh so yeah. So definitely thankful for you uh taking the time to talk about all this stuff and uh share some of your experiences and knowledge and everything. And um yeah, I guess we'll catch up again soon. And and thank
0: you for thank you for pretending to listen. <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah. See, I brought it back. Oh, <laughs> I brought it. Back. Thank you for sy-
1: sympathizing with my <laughs> with my weird obsessions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a perfect sign off. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the show. Links to check out Oddly Ends can be found in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review for the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated. If you're an entrepreneur, creator, or live an interesting lifestyle, send an email to juxtaposedjourneys at gmail.com with a brief description for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. The Juxpose Journey's logo was designed by Darius Norwood. The website was designed by Elise Benner, and music has been provided by Young Pioneer. Editing, mixing, and interviews are conducted by yours truly, Eric Spitz. Thank you for listening, and remember to never stop exploring.